0: Uh, thank you. If you've got a Bible, look up Luke chapter 1. We're starting from verse 57. Are you going to the cinema this uh, Christmas? Often a time when some of us go to the, the flicks. Um, I hear that Cats is being released as a film uh, in a week or so. Can you believe it? Who's going to go and see Cats? Oh, sorry, I'm, not, I'm, I'm implying my, my, my disposition towards it, but I know the musical has made a comeback. Uh, I did like La La Land a few years ago, won its awards, but uh, I don't know, cats? Uh, that, that was for the 80s and maybe should have been left there, but never mind. What we're doing over this December period is we're looking at Luke's account of the first Christmas. And we noted last week that it reads more like the script to a musical, hence the link, than it does to a play. It's fascinating that Luke ignores all the usual details that we like around a birth, a bit like with Jude. We wanted to know how, how heavy was Jude? We, want, we like to know when exactly was he born? Uh, what was the time? We like to know these kind of details, but Luke gives us none of it. We don't even know what day Jesus was born. The 25th of December is as likely and as unlikely as any other of the 364 days in the year for recognizing Jesus's birth. But what does Luke give us? He transcribes four songs of praise. And he includes one from Mary, we heard it last week. He includes one from the angels, we're going to look at that next week. But whilst we, in our nativity plays, invent characters like the innkeeper and we give starring roles to different farm animals, Luke doesn't go anywhere near there. But he gives us some of these other cast members, like Zachariah and Simeon, who also had songs of praise, and we're going to look at the first of those this morning. And our hope really is that as we unpack these original Christmas carols, that we get again to understand something about Jesus, to be enthralled again by the wonder of who he is and what he's about and what he's done. And in it all, we'll. Learn how to worship. What kind of worship does God want from us? So we find from Luke that the the Christmas story actually starts six months earlier than we thought it did. It starts in a different town in the hill country of Judea with a different couple with Zechariah and Elizabeth and with a different baby, baby John. John was eight days old when his elderly dad suddenly broke out With song and praise after his nine months of enforced silence. Let's read it together uh, from verse 68 in Luke chapter 1. It will come up behind me. I'll step out of the way and you can follow it there if you will. Just go back. Verse 67 says His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. This is what he said Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I'll go on, but just pause. I've got a full stop at last. That's a long sentence. I I think Luke's run out of punctuation marks. We've got a colon, we've got a dash, we've got brackets, we've got the lot there. Then his attention turns. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And then to summarize the next 30 years of history, And the child grew and became strong in the Holy Spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Holy Spirit, we do ask, keep coming to us this morning. Keep revealing things to us about you and your plans and your achievements and draw us on, Holy Spirit, into into worship, into praise, which after all is the reason we're here, is to be the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to draw out six characteristics of our worship. If worship is what God is looking for, then I think Zechariah's example is a good one for us and one that we can learn from. And first of all, I want to share to you that worshippers are to be focused on Jesus. We're to be Jesus focused people. Zechariah burst into praise as soon as his voice was restored. If you read the backstory, he had been struck dumb for those nine months. But what startles me, surprises me perhaps, but impresses me is. That while he's not named as such, Zachariah's worship is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. He has redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in his house of the servant David. And he goes on. We're not... Naming him here, but we know who he's talking about. And it reminds us, doesn't it, that whatever the circumstances, whatever's going on, whether a, there are ups or the downs, our focus is Jesus and our worship is to him. How, how can we worship Lord in all circumstances? As Christians and as a family together, We get to walk through all of life's events, big ones, the small ones, the good ones, the sad ones, the happy ones, the bad ones. And we're to worship. And we're to worship. Worship is always the right and appropriate and best response. Always is. How could that be? Because our focus is Jesus in our worship. I had the joy of meeting some other Christians from other local churches. Five of us representing other churches in the area met together. And we were talking about worship. It did have an output, and objective, but it was just helpful. We all gained something in sharing our understanding of worship. And what struck us was the sheer breadth of worship genre, of the modes of worship, if you like. And we came up with five, partly because we had a five-week series to think about. I guess five doesn't need to be the limit of it. But there's definitely Thanksgiving, isn't there? And there's definitely praise. And that's different from Thanksgiving. And there's definitely celebration. But we also pointed out, and there's lament. Two-thirds of the Psalms, some estimate that, are are, are lament in genre. Why? How long? Where's your answer? Why? Bad things happening to good people. What's the good that's happening to bad people all about? This lament is part of our worship repertoire. And fifthly, trust and hope. Whatever the circumstance is, whatever the outlook. Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12 of that letter, you know, there are times to rejoice, and we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we're to mourn with those who mourn. But in it all, it's worship. And it's worshipped throughout because the worship is focused on Jesus. We can celebrate the birth of a baby in Jude. And we can mourn the loss of Arwen. We can do that with family, And it can all be done in a context of worship. Because our worship is focused on Jesus Christ. You know, Zachariah had a lot of things he could have legitimately, I think, praised God for. Yet, open him up at this point. What was in his heart? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He could have praised God for being healed. He could have praised God for having seen the angel Gabriel. Not many of us can say that. He could have praised God for having a son in his old age. He could have praised God for this seemingly special task that God had for his family. And I'm sure he was thankful and grateful for all of those things, yet he had grasped something, I believe. He would grasped that the really good news, that Gabriel had announced to him back in verse 19, if you go and do your homework on the preceding chapter, wasn't so much the recent birth of his son, but the imminent birth of his Savior. You see, Zachariah understood the bigger story. And he'd understood, I think, to some extent, that his life story was not so much about him or his offspring. What about him and his? He'd understood that his life story fitted into a bigger story, a much grander narrative. And this story, whilst we think sometimes each of us is focused on me or you, no, we, we have to come to realize there's a bigger narrative that we fit into. And we each, yes, play our cameo role in the years that God gives us, just like Zechariah did, just like John did, just like Simeon and some of these others. They came up into the story and then went again. But it is all with us, with fitting into the bigger picture. And we can only begin to make sense of the highs and the lows when we realize they're making something of the bigger picture come alive you know within three decades john would be cut down in his prime headed at the whimsical request of a tyrant's seductive daughter at a birthday party and i like to think if he was still alive then that whilst whilst the tune may have changed the lyrics of zechariah's song of praise would have remained this is about him It's about him. You know, you could be fooled into thinking that uh, the Christmas story came like a bolt out of the blue. Yes, it's full of surprises, twists, and turns. It's something of the unexpected. But it does join all the dots together of God's revealed plan since the beginning of time. You know, Christmas is distinctly a Jewish story and for reason. Luke is interesting. Luke, we think, is possibly the only Gentile, i.e. non-Jewish, author of the Bible. And and lo and behold, at the beginning we discover Luke is writing to a Gentile, Theophilus, a lawyer perhaps. And he's writing for the purpose of his mate, Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles. Yet, despite all those facts, Luke doesn't disguise the Jewish flavor of of the nativity of that first Christmas. Zechariah and Elizabeth were clearly Jewish. Zechariah, we're told earlier, he was a priest in the Jewish temple. The angel Gabriel chose to come and visit Zechariah, not in all his other day-to-day activities, but on the one day, the pinnacle of his career, where he had gone into the most holy place in the temple, into the Jewish temple fulfilling a custom and ceremony was, was, which was up there with all of them as far as Jewish customs were concerned. And then this moment we've got captured with this song of praise from him, where was he when he sang that praise? Well, it was on the day that he'd taken his son to be circumcised, the eighth day of his life, as was Jewish custom. These are the real trappings of Christmas. And they can feel very alien to us, otherworldly perhaps. And I think they're meant to. These details are the wonder of it and the marvel of it. You see, the, the nativity story isn't isolated. It fits into this larger story of our God. From history past to history future. Jesus links everything that had gone before with everything that is still to come. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Bible's preceding promises. He is the fulfillment of all of Israel's hopes and expectations. That's why Zechariah, in praising Jesus, is full of that historic context. He says, praise be to the Lord, who? The God of Israel. He goes on and he refers to our ancestors in verse 72. He goes on to reference some of them. He talks about our father Abraham, the patriarch that kicked off this people of Israel in verse 73. He talks about the servant of God, David, this archetypal king of Israel in their history who was promised so much. He, He talks about all of the holy prophets of old who we can read about, all of whom we're pointing to this moment. Jesus has come. I think he understood where he fitted in the story of God. And I think Zechariah would have been completely undone by the similarities between his family's experience and that of Abraham and Sarah, both elderly couples, both then promised uh, uh, in their old age, a, a child, both receiving that promise, both knowing that it, it, it was part of a, a more significant thing than just their immediate biological clan. Yet, Zechariah knew still there was an even more significant baby to come, a more significant story that he was fitting into. You see, Zechariah had gone on a faith journey. During the nine months of, of John growing in the womb of Elizabeth, I think faith had been growing in the heart of Zechariah. You see, the angel had had two pregnancies to announce, one to Zechariah and one to Mary. Zechariah, he had been told, you know, you're gonna, your wife's going to have a baby in her old age, who you are to call John, who's going to go and bring people back to God and prepare the way for the Lord. And how did Zechariah respond? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my wife is well on in years. That's a polite way of saying she's an old woman as well. And Mary had a similar type of experience. She was told she's going to have a baby despite her young age, that he would be called Jesus, and he would be the son of the most high and reign over an eternal kingdom. And how did Mary respond? How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. At first glance, their responses seem similar. They've both replied with a question. Yet Mary, she got an explanation and further confirmation. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, Mary. Oh, and your relative Elizabeth is soon to be with child in her old age. Whereas Zechariah, he, he received a rebuke and a sign to go and think about it. He was told... And now you'll be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. So their questions were questions, but they revealed different things. Zachariah's question revealed serious doubt in God's supernatural ability. But Mary's question revealed submissive faith to God's mysterious ways. (laughs) So Zechariah had gone on this journey, and we now see the conclusion of that. Just back in verse 62, if you want to flick over in the preamble to this song of his, we're told that it was with family and friends. And the family and friends were making signs to Zechariah because an argument had ensued about what to call the baby. All the the family and friends were muttering in. Do you recognize any of these dynamics in your family? Suggesting it really should be Zechariah, the name of the father that's carried on to the next generation. But Mary, uh, sorry, Elizabeth seemed to want John. I mean, John? Why John? And they were a bit upset by this. So lo and behold, they decided to ask Zechariah. And they had to make signs to him, perhaps suggesting he was, he was deaf as well as dumb at this point. I don't know how it went. Maybe it was like this. Maybe it was... And there we have it. Shiraz has been part of our Christmases ever since. Yeah. And he wrote down on a tablet, his name is John. And at that moment, we know that faith has arisen in Zechariah's heart. The thing that impresses me about Zechariah's praise, not only is it Jesus-focused, not only is it, has it sprung from faith, but it, it contains so many gospel themes, it's uncanny. It's no surprise, I don't think, that Luke decided to use it as one of his preludes to his two-volume accounts of Jesus, the book of Luke, the book of Acts. Zechariah wouldn't have known the details of what to come, but Jesus hadn't even been born yet. Yet he was saying things like this: God has come to his people. God has come to redeem his people. God has raised up the horn of salvation, the horn kind of symbolizing strength, sovereign strength, kingly strength. He's raised up a salvation for us. He seems to have grasped so much of what we now know as the gospel of Jesus. He'd got the themes at least. Let's look at some of them quickly. Uh, Verse 68, as I said, uh, why is he praising God? Because he has come to his people. He'd got the incarnation. Right there. The incarnation, just a posh word for this outrageous truth that Jesus was both fully God as well as fully man. Wow. The Jews, you see, were eagerly awaiting their Messiah Messiah King, but they they hadn't anticipated him being God in person, God himself. It's a marvel. It's the most remarkable, jaw-dropping truth of our faith. You too, like Zechariah, may be still going on a journey of faith. That's fine. For some, it's gradual. For others, it's sudden. God can cope with that. But you'll come to this. Jesus is fully God as well as fully man. And I think unless you've come or do come to accept that, you're going to struggle with the rest of the accounts. You're going to struggle to accept Jesus' miracles as supernatural. You're going to struggle to accept the resurrection, his resurrection from the dead as, as historical. You're going to struggle to accept that his divine offer of forgiveness and eternal life is credible. You've got to understand, Jesus is fully God. At Christmas time, it's probably the only time now, I can play with Lego and not look too strange. Uh, it's, uh, when our children were younger, that was okay, now they're older, it's a bit odd me playing with a Lego. So it's up in the loft, I saw it there yesterday, and I thought we might have an opportunity with the little nieces and nephews coming around to get it out and play with some more Lego. And I can just look like a caring, loving uncle while I'm, you know, getting down there. And I noticed that last year's production uh, and building was was there, a bit ruined and flattened and just, you know, cr- crushed into the box where we'd made some houses Made the footprint of houses and made a little village and some rows and some cars. Oh, look, you know, I'd crammed it in the box, it'd all come tumbling down, but you could just see the remnants of it. And it made me think, you know, what if the only way of restoring that Lego town that we made last year to its former glory was for me to become a, a Lego bod and go into the little Lego world and start putting things right. What if that was the only solution, I thought to myself? What would it be like to be a Lego bod, a Lego person? Be a bit odd, be a bit constraining, be a bit limiting. It'll still be me, but I'll be in the form of a Lego. I'll be able to bend at the waist. Okay, well, that's got some, some functionality. Yeah. I'll be able to hold things that fit into my hands, that shape, uh, and not bend at the elbow, but bend at the shoulder, I think, isn't it, um, that way? I'll be able to do that. I'll be able to spin my head right round, like an owl. I've always wanted to do that. That would be quite fun, wouldn't it? I'll be able to change my hairstyle just like that. Hats, long hair, short hair, different color. That would be great. But it would be a little bit limiting. Maybe, maybe in some small way that helps me to understand the journey that God took in being incarnate, second person of the Trinity coming man Zechariah got it he got it Mary had come to his house she'd profused with praise while she was staying there he'd somehow heard her story or maybe she wrote it down for him uh, and saw this bump emerging and he knew there's God coming to his people he's coming to redeem he speaks of the theme of redemption another reason he's bringing praise to god the dictionary defines redemption as an action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt you know we can receive the mercy of god which mary sung about zechariah sings about it again here echoing her sentiment because justice has also been done there's been an exchange there's been a cancelling of debt there's been a clearing there's been a payment Our sin exchanged for his righteousness by faith in the cross. Jesus taking on himself all of our sin and dying in our place that we can receive eternal life by faith in him. Zechariah seems to get a hint even of the resurrection. He is raised up, he talks about, this horn of salvation, this this one who's come as king uh, of sovereign strength. He's raised up. He was Using that kind of language, verse 78 again, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. What is it, Zechariah? Is it a sun rising or is it coming from heaven? It's kind of both. It's like the rising of a sun and it's coming from heaven. He he might not fully understand what's going to come historically for us now, but he gets the essence of it. Salvation, he talks about three times. as a big fat word. Luke loves it. He, he peppers his gospel account with the word salvation because it's so all-encompassing of what Jesus has accomplished, of all of his global rescue plans. But, you know, Zachariah knows he needs saving from this saviour, just as Mary did as we looked at last week. He says um, in verse... Uh, 62 about this salvation has come for us Uh, 69 sorry he's raised up a horn of salvation for us I think he's talking personally This 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 salvation has come for me for us as a family as well as us as a nation and us as a world he talks about the enemies the enemies of God's people being destroyed being won being defeated He understands that this enemy is a spiritual enemy, not a political enemy. Yes, they were occupied and oppressed by the Roman Empire at the time. Many people were hoping that this Messiah would solve all that, but he knows there's a spiritual dynamic that sins are what bind people to Satan and that sin needs to be broken and needs to be forgiven through the mercy and the willing sacrifice of Jesus. Just briefly, a couple of other characteristics of our worship. Firstly, our worship is to be contagious. I'm sure, as I say, Mary's song would have impacted Zachariah. As if Zachariah now picks up the baton and brings verse 2. And we're told in verse 66 that after he praised God, it impacted everybody who heard him. Everyone who heard about it, wondered about it, saying, what then is this child going to be? So the Lord's hand was with him. See, worship that springs for faith from faith, worship that is focused on Jesus, can't fail but to infect those around us. I think it was lovely we had those testimonies earlier from Helen and from Sarah, just ways in which our worship of Jesus leaks out of us. It doesn't have to be with guitar and song. That'd be a bit odd, wouldn't it? As all the family around at Christmas. Oh, I has got a little song about a testimony. It's not, it's, it doesn't have to be like that. But somehow, this worship of Jesus, our understanding of these gospel things, however limited they may be, like Zachariah, they need to leak from us because it's contagious. People will be affected. I'm reminded that 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 was it, Mary, who brought that alabaster jar of perfume to Jesus' feet. And she broke it. It's so expensive, but it filled the house. For some it was a stink. They, they despised the act. They thought it was a waste. Others were wowed by it. It drew them to who Jesus was, drew them to the object of a worship. We need to be like that. That's why when we come together to worship on Sunday, as we're going to do in a minute, it's through our songs, it's through our testimonies, it's through our prayers of praise and thanksgiving, it's through the proclamations that we bring, even in the spontaneous, that we build one another up, that the contagion of worship is caught even in our own hearts, that faith has arrived. It's why there's a challenge this Christmas for all of us as we gather with friends and family, maybe even colleagues on some nights out over the coming week or so, what's our conversation going to be? Where's the leakage of worship going to come like it did for Helen, like it did for Sarah, affecting these people, impacting them? It may be a stink for some, but it may just draw them to the object of our worship. And lastly, Another characteristic of our worship is to be charismatic. I can't get away from the fact that Luke very diligently tells us in verse 67 that Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit when he brought this praise and uh, prophetic word. And that is exactly what we're doing when we talk about charismatic worship. It was what we're aiming for. It was what we're going for around here, by the way. And that doesn't mean to say we're going to sing the most contemporary songs. It's not about that. It doesn't mean to say the hymn board's gone, but we've got a list on a music stand. It's not about that. It's about worship that is spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. Filled with the Holy Spirit. I think this is an example that Zachariah gives us here of what Paul later refers to as songs from the Spirit. He talks about it twice, once in Colossians 3, once in Ephesians 5. He, he describes New Testament worship as including psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Psalm just means there's times, guys, where it's just helpful to read the praise out of the ancients for us to hear again afresh, because there's something in the now of it, as Dale found with that psalm, only this week. Sometimes there are hymns, yes, there's there's composed songs. That's not, not talking about a musical genre. It just talks about the fact that Christians write songs to help us incorporate worship. Great, don't care what style it is. Let's include those. But it also includes songs from the Spirit proclamations of praise that the Spirit brings to each and every one of us. You know, it was a hallmark, it was a conclusion uh, around the, the, the receipt of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Peter was preaching at Cornelius' house and suddenly found that they were speaking in tongues and praising God spontaneously. They'd become Christians and filled in the Spirit then and there. They hadn't learned any Christian worship songs. They each just broke out in spontaneous praise. Some in their own language, some in the language of heaven. It doesn't really matter which, that's the the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then the prophetic comes and then God starts to speak I mean we haven't got time to look at it from 76 onwards but the prophetic input that he had for his newborn child was so profound and it's in the context of charismatic worship that God begins to speak so here are the six characteristics Let's be Jesus-focused in our worship because we can then worship in any circumstance. Let's understand how our life fits into the bigger story of his life. Let's go on this journey of faith and allow that to spur our worship. Let's ensure that all of the themes of the gospel are part of our understanding of worship. Let our worship be contagious and let's make it charismatic by the Spirit's enabling. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.